When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on turning down being in the wedding party, not wanting people to borrow your expensive items, losing control when others are planning your baby shower, and how to politely check on someone's plus one when they may have broken up before the wedding. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about how to show support when you can't go to a funeral. Plus your most excellent feedback, Etiquette Salute, and a postscript where we discuss anger management. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I almost Listen, forgot who I was. <laughs> do you have a brain cell left? Do you have I a spare dead, brain cell you could spare it's, us? I finally <laughs> started responding to reporters or basically anyone who's reaching out to me this week and saying, my, my brain is mush and until this manuscript is finished, it will stay mush. It's starting to feel like that because I'm, I'm starting to put that kind of pressure on you with it too. It's like, this is, this is the end. <laughs> like... We're turning in the first half of the 20th edition on Monday and uh, sitting here as, as the weekend is ahead of us and it's the last chance to kind of look at it and really get everything we want into it and adjust the stuff and, and say that what you wrote two weeks ago was terrible, just awful. Okay. And you can't believe you almost submitted something like that and you're so grateful that you gave yourself enough time to actually look over this beast Forgetting that you're about to submit it for total editing, which is going to be this whole process. <laughs> it's got to be perfect so that I can work on it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, no, but we're going through all the motions of it. <laughs> we, we have to just – you have to do me a favor for a minute. Just put yeah. all of the etiquette content aside. <laughs> That's literally just, surrounding me in my office right now. <laughs> just do the math for me. How's yeah. the math looking? <laughs> The math is looking good. So what Dan means is that we're, we're submitting half of a manuscript and the entire manuscript isn't fully written. So there's still a question of sort of, are you on track to have enough room to write the rest of the book in the next month? And yes, we are on track. I think right now this half stands at, and I haven't even added up the adjustments for today, but 70,504 words. And that leaves like, you know, 60,000 in the, in the other half. And, and that actually looks, looks pretty good. Looks, looks pretty fair of an amount to work with. So that's, that's good. That's for, good. for our audience's <laughs> edification. It's that remainder, that words remaining in the equation that has Lizzie Post waking up in cold sweats at night <laughs> as she gets more and more edits that are like, what about this? What about this? And the word count steadily grows, grows and grows yeah. and grows. 
It's true. It's like a game. Every every night before bed, I add up my words and I add up what I still have to write. And I think about whether we're going to make it. And it's funny. Some days it jumps way high and we're over and other days we're under. Yeah, I think last night the count came in at being 2000 under even what we like have to submit as a total. And so it was, that was kind of shocking. Usually you're going to be somewhat over. And so I was like, we've got room to play as of now. But then Dan and I added some stuff in today and then I took other stuff out. And so we'll see what the tally says tonight, but it's kind the of quarterly a, reports were looking good. Yeah. yeah a, a trend line in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I, I posted to higher etiquette. Some of you may have seen it. A, um, a like 360 view of, of my office right now. And it is completely, or almost completely wall to wall. The book is just pasted up on the walls. And I really love this stage of editing. I love, first of all, not hunching over my desk. <laughs> and second of all, you can really see, like, I think Dan and I were looking at a section and, and I, I was looking at it going, the hug's too long. We spend too much time talking about the hug. I got to cut it. It's not in proportion to everything else here. And and it's funny how that kind of a drive and, and that kind of a perspective on it will make you feel good about cutting things that you didn't want to cut before. And they're good cuts to make. It's like extra stuff. You don't need me rambling or us, I should say, rambling in this book. It's really fun. And I also really like as I make marks and as I think about it and sit with it, like I'll just grab a page off the wall, bring it to the desk and, and edit what, you know, whatever my marks are on it. And then I go put it right back up on the wall. And there's something about that that I really I really love, but this is the stage where I feel like you're in it. It always reminds me of friends where Joey's in the map when they're in London, um, but you're no, like you're, in you're physically the book. waiting into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and trying to figure things out. Like, can I, can I tell them the stuff that we were just batting back and forth? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so this is when you know you're just too into your project. You're at the stage, like Dan will often come in and, and add pieces and stuff. Like he's really great at going out and, and finding some research pieces and grabbing them in and giving them to me to work with. I am of the two of us designated to spearhead the main writing. So that's why we're set up like that. And we have moments where like, so then the content's in, but like Dan's picturing it and like gathering the information this way. And I'm like picturing it and imagine trying to put it into a certain format or something. And, and just the, sometimes the ridiculous things we end up saying to each other. And then sometimes the very, very practical is usually what brings it around to the kind of go forward position. But it, it just, it does crack me up trying to balance like, Okay, so we want this chart on names and titles for these types of government, you know, professions to go this way. But these are the other kinds of things that are involved within this. And do we need like an extra box on the end or a column for like notes or, or would you display it this way? Or these boxes are getting too long. This chart is too big. Like the things you end up kind of like nitpicking and like detailing over end up being laughable. <laughs> I want to sort the CDs by alphabetical title of album. <laughs> I want to sort them by system. music genre. <laughs> I want to sort them by the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. What, what would you tell people about it? You've been you've been sort of you've been in it and watching it all unfold. My favorite part of this discussion is hearing you <laughs> describe the part of editing <laughs> where you get to engage your spatial reasoning. Oh, thank that you. Yes. You've been in the language, you've been in the words, and there's a certain relief that I can hear in your voice. And I've, I've watched it when you've done this and 
other projects when you can actually print the book out and just oh, start to push edited, pieces yeah. of paper around. Yeah. And it it is. It's a different part of your brain. It's a different way to look at the content and material. And um, having been in a generative state for a long time, I, I, <laughs> I can only imagine what a relief that must feel like. It is. Well, I'll tell you, the other big relief was as I sat last night with the the whole first half of the book up on the walls, I was like, it exists. Like we really did it. This is like an etiquette book taking shape here. Like it's a very cool feeling and it's different. It's it, higher etiquette had that feeling too, but it's, it's different from the other times we've done this because the other times you've always had sort of something you're working with and working from that are already existed. And this one, you know, when we were talking about New Year's, cause I remember explaining to you my plan for tackling the bulk of the writing that still all needed to happen. And like, it's happened. <laughs> like we're here. This is real. It's a nice. It's a nice moment. Nice feeling. Even though the next two days are going to be woohoo, crazy editing. I, I'm I'm not going to congratulate you right now. Yeah. Although anybody listening to this could probably do so <laughs> by Monday when it's in Caitlin's Caitlin's hands. <laughs> exactly. And then Lizzie we get Bose. to start on the second half. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> Oh, thank you very much for for indulging yet another conversation about the the work that we're we're doing. It does feel kind of like all encompassing right now. So it's it's nice to get to talk to someone about it. <laughs> well, when a ten year project comes to a head, I think it's um no no uh, no dispensation is necessary. <laughs> However, you know what is necessary, cousin. I bet you can guess it. Do we have some questions to get to? We've got questions to get to in this show. Let's get to them. Let's. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners 
it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND or 802-858-5463. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we're at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question this week is about a wedding party problem. Hello. A friend of mine is having a destination wedding in 2022, and she just assumes that I'll be a bridesmaid. I haven't received yet a formal invitation to be a bridesmaid, but from a recent conversation, it seemed like I was part of the wedding party. Unfortunately, I don't want to be part of this wedding party for several reasons. The primary reason being that it's a friendship that I don't value much anymore, and it's a big responsibility that I won't be able to commit to. She's planning an out-of-town bridal shower, bachelorette, and wedding in the next few months. Yes, all this during COVID. How do I decline being a bridesmaid? And should I wait until I receive the official bridesmaid invite before mentioning anything? Thank you in advance, Monica. Monica, thanks for bringing this question up. And I like, not that I like, but I think it's important to highlight here that there can be multiple reasons, even if they're separate, whereas Monica's happen to be together, for why you might not want to or be able to be a bridesmaid. And that's really okay. It's it's okay. This isn't something everyone has to say yes to or is automatically, uh, you know, a shoe in for the bridal party. It's interesting you speak about the formal bridesmaid invitation. I know in some areas it's more or, – or among some social groups, it's more common to have an actual for, – literally a formal invitation. But also this could also mean an email that goes out to the people who are intended to be bridesmaids or something like that or a formal meaning an actual conversation about it. It sounds to me though like what Monica's experiencing is where – you're talking with this bride and then all of a sudden she's looped you in and you're like, wait, wait, what? Wait, I'm I'm a bridesmaid? You know, that kind of like surprise I didn't even know I had been included in this group kind of a thing. So with the situation that Monica's dealing with, what we don't know is kind of how far down the road did that comment that got made go? Like, did I'm it, so curious about it, this. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it's, and it kind of makes a difference because you wouldn't just automatically call up the bride and say, um, hey, I just thought I should make it really clear. I actually can't be a bridesmaid because it's still kind of vague. You don't remember having been directly asked, but you were kind of included in the group that, that would if have been. you were thinking been. about me, I'd rather you didn't. Yeah. It kind of might come off okay, but it could, it's potentially problematic. I, and I, so I think asking to clarify is probably the way to go. You know, say, hey, bride, I, I wanted to talk to you. There was something you had said the other day, and I just really wanted to clarify whether I, I was being invited to be a bridesmaid or, or whether I had already been included in that group. And then you can carry on and get a clear answer from her and then say, I so appreciate the invitation, the inclusion. However, I actually really won't be able to make this commitment and be able to support you really well during it. So I'm going to have to decline. And that's the, the that's sort of the way you can work that conversation. And obviously use your language, make it fit your voice. But getting the clarity on whether what you experienced was actually an invitation or inclusion 
or you know what's going on there. I think first, then will give you the probably actual invitation to react to one way or the other. And you never know. She might say, "Oh no, I had just felt so awkward, and I I accidentally included you." Could you imagine? Wouldn't that be such a relief for this particular listener? <laughs> like, not likely how it's going to go, but. <laughs> No, but it's also a good um, illustration of how sometimes being truthful and candid mm-hmm. might prevent a lot of confusion and, and, and be easier than we might imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh, someone's really going to be heartbroken. They thought I was inviting them. I really wasn't. Uh, who knows? Maybe they're also thinking, boy, that's a little awkward. This relationship isn't exactly the kind of relationship that I think would support me doing that in this situation. Yeah. And it's, um, it's hard to tell from, from what we've got to is. know exactly what's, what's going on and what the bride is thinking here. So, you know, it's, it is good, Monica, to, to tread carefully and lightly and, and respectfully. I'll tell you, cause I also really liked your sample script language. That <laughs> if you are probing and inviting this conversation, whichever way it goes, mm-hmm. being prepared to decline clearly and with good reason and, also with that that positive affirmation that you appreciate being thought of and being invited is a really wise thing to have in your pocket. The other thought that I had was that you might say to yourself, why would I have that kind of an awkward conversation? Why would I even try? And I'm thinking about the etiquette imperative of needing to clear up a miscommunication. If someone's thinking of you as a member of the bridal party, as mm-hmm. someone who they've talked about as being a part of it, and you haven't clarified that you're not, and that's their running assumption, the sooner you address that, the better, because they're they're going to want to know and 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 hear that from you clearly. Absolutely. Monica, we hope this gives you an avenue to go down, and mostly we hope that you are able to attend this wedding in the way that feels best for you. If you have any problems like those you've just seen, talk them over. Get them settled. Because the only way to have a friend is to be one. And friendship is one of the most precious things in life. Our next question is titled, Sorry, Buddy, No Borrowing. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just heard Barb's dilemma about asking a friend for her kid's video game back, and I loved your discussion on lending objects. I feel like Barb and I would be BFFs. We have a very expensive and amazing smart baby bassinet that we originally borrowed from my sister with white knuckles because of fear we would break it. Now, we bought one of our own for baby number two on Black Friday, and I have been asked twice to borrow it. Because it costs a decent amount, I have declined so far, stating that we were still using it. But really, if anyone asks again, I wouldn't want to lend it out because it seems too risky. I would be too upset if it got damaged or something happened. How can you politely say no just because you don't want to? And if it was damaged while borrowed, is it always the borrower's responsibility to replace and fix? Thank you, Tracy. Great question. <laughs> oh, Tracy, thank you so much for this question. This is um, a really great opportunity to continue having that discussion that you enjoyed about borrowing things. And there is so much etiquette around it. It is such a, a phenomenal topic. I want to start off by just applauding your stance 
one of the, the big <laughs> ideas that we share is no, don't lend something that you couldn't afford to lose. It it really puts someone else in an incredibly awkward position where they're responsible for something that they wouldn't probably want to be responsible for. And it's up to you as a lender in a lot of ways to to help define what that is for you because only you can do that. And I think this is a, a perfect example of something where the the cost is just too high for you to feel comfortable lending it, even though it's in that category or class of things that people are oftentimes used to sharing and lending. I'm thinking about all that baby stuff that gets passed around so frequently between new parents. Totally. Tell me, what would it sound like to you if like you, you were asking me to borrow this thing, you as a parent, and I said – um, oh, that's not something I lend out, but you know, but it did really work. You should really find one. You know what I mean? Or like, I'm try I keep, I've got the, I feel good about, about saying you can absolutely say I don't want to lend this out or that's not something I'm willing to lend out. What's the follow up sample language for like? Do you I just you... leave it at that and then it's quiet for a second? Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> like... I think so. It's it's not a responsibility of yours to explain all of your reasoning why. You can say I'm not comfortable totally. lending that out. Yeah. And I think that's enough. That idea of sort of comfort can be interpreted enough ways. Mm -hmm. You could say something like, you know, it's just – it's just too expensive an item. I wouldn't want anyone else to be responsible for it. I like that one because it helps kind of remind people about like some of the quote unquote preciousness around it, you know? Exactly. And it's not saying I specifically don't trust you to deal with it well. It's just that generally speaking, I don't feel comfortable with it. You're taking responsibility for the decision that you've made and most people are going to respect that. So when it comes to damaged, and I, having just written about sort of host guest dilemmas and things like that, borrowing is is another place where you're right. I feel like in some instances, it would be really respectful for someone who borrowed something to completely replace it, offer to replace it, offer to repair it, whatever it is. Like, right, we return things in the condition in which they were given to us when we borrow something. And if you can't do that, we generally think it's, it is on you to – to try and do that. What if it's a full on break? I mean, or, or if the person declines, I don't know. I could go down a rabbit hole. Stop me before I go down a rabbit hole, but I'm, I'm just thinking about the whole damaged topic. That's like a whole other issue with lending borrowing. <laughs> it sure is. And I, I feel like there's a reciprocal responsibility that the person who's doing the borrowing has that sort of mirrors the responsibility that the lender has to not lend things that they couldn't afford to lose or um or to that be might clear easily break <laughs> how long you're lending it these exactly there is a a shared responsibility here for this thing that you're both using and taking care of and if that thing is in your care as the person borrowing it and it breaks i think you have to assess how responsible you are were you being did it break in the regular use? Yeah. Or were you pushing the limits or going a little <laughs> fast or whatever? And 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 really being honest with yourself about that. I, I think there's really room for sort of a borrower lender dance that's very similar to the host guest dance where you might offer to cover some damage that happened. It might be accepted or not depending on the situation. I think it's also a, a lot of people operate under the idea of I'm not going to borrow something I couldn't afford to fully replace. And that also at the same time, I, I know so many things that I've borrowed or that someone has borrowed from me 
that are in that category would probably be too expensive to fully replace. And maybe that's why you're borrowing it. <laughs> it, that, it exactly. <laughs> because you can't afford to buy one on your own. And so there's sort of this issue with the, the idea that that if you are going to lend out a big ticket item, recognizing that someone really, truly, even if it uh, does completely go bust while it's in their possession, that they might not actually be able to 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 full offer to fully reimburse you for it. We always tell those who have damaged something that they borrowed, or if you're visiting as a guest, to offer what you can do. I think that's a really reasonable place to start from. You know what I mean? And so it's, A, I think we're still in the position with Tracy of it's fine for her to just say, I don't want to loan that out, or that's not something I'm comfortable loaning out and leaving it at that. Um, but, but let's say it was the sister coming back again. You know what I mean? And, and now it's her turn again and she wants one and, and, and she's used it before. She knows how to work it, <laughs> you know, and you decide to lend it out. Um, you might even discuss, Hey, could we talk about what might happen if, if it did break during the months you're using it or something like that. And that might even be something that you, you decide to add to a conversation about borrowing is, is what would we do if, if a situation happened where it was no longer usable? Because I think that's really good advice. I don't think you can ever be hurt by more clearer communication. Tracy, thank you so much for this question. To be honest, may sound easy. Some of the time it is. But it can be a real problem. Especially when wanting to be honest conflicts with other things you want to do. Our next question is titled, Baby Shower Stress. Hi there. My mother-in-law and sister-in-laws are hosting my virtual baby shower. I gave them my list of emails and told them to just send out an Evite or paperless post invitation. I handed them everything on a platter, the Zoom link, using my Zoom because I have a paid account, and the link to the gift registry. I assumed they would send out the invitation and it would be done and over with. For some reason, my mother-in-law decided that the people on the list weren't capable of opening an Evite and RSVPing just because she isn't capable. So instead, she sent text messages of the invitation to individual people and groups. So the invitation image, see the attached, is the only thing that people have. There was no mention of please RSVP on the invitation, so we have no way of knowing who is coming. At the very least, an Evite allows you to see who has responded, sends gentle nudges to remind people of the event, that offers some sense of order and cohesion. It also allows you to click the registry link and the Zoom link created weeks ago and could already have been in the invitee's possession. Instead, the mother-in-law and sister-in-law decided they would send it as it got closer, in quotes. It feels so disorganized and impractical. In addition, there are a few aunts I added to the list, and those aunts informed me this week that they never received an invitation, even though I gave the host their contact info weeks and weeks ago. So I had to send it to them myself. When I asked my mother-in-law about it, she said, I'll take care of it. But at this point, I don't trust her to do so. My husband even sent her a step-by-step -step email on how to send the links to everyone. She hasn't sent it out, and the shower is in a week. I am totally in the dark here, and I don't know who is coming, nor do the hosts. I am so frustrated. I feel grateful for their kindness to throw this shower, but I am embarrassed, mortified, and annoyed at the same time. I'm trying to understand why I'm so angry, but I can't figure out why. Something that seems so easy and simple has turned into a cluster, and it makes me feel like my wishes were not considered. My mother-in-law always goes a non-traditional route on things, but instead she ends up creating chaos and confusion. 
What I want to do now is just create an evite myself and reach out to everyone on my own. But I know that probably wouldn't be the best idea. I've reached out to a couple people just to make sure they got the invitation. Would love to hear your thoughts on this tricky issue. What should I do? Thanks. A. A, I, I want to offer you respectfully and only if you're willing hugs from afar. Oh, oh you poor honoree. This is awful. The further this is the most you go annoying in this question, thing. the harder it is. Oh, and it just, it just is. It's like you're, you're supposed to be on a lily pad right now with everybody. Congratulations yes. on the coming baby. A, we are sorry that you're in this position. As an honoree, you truly are supposed to be on a lily pad. You're supposed to do exactly what you did. Give the names of the people and any contact information you can provide to the hosts, and then the hosts are supposed to take care of everything easily. And you are right. I personally am in the middle of planning a, a online a virtual baby shower um, for one of my best friends. And we agreed exactly as you had the, the sending out the the link and all the information in one fell swoop so that they can just return to one thing is really easy that utilizing services that you you can so that there are easy RSVPs and registry link sharing and things like that it's it's wonderful for the one I'm doing, rather than going through a service that then tracks the RSVPs, we're, we're just having them come in to me because I said that would be fine. But it's tricky. There's a lot to manage. And I think where your anger is coming from in that it, it hasn't been managed well. And now those people that you who are the guest of honor and are it is supposed to be your party with your people. They're getting left behind and left out and confused, and that's not fun, and it's making you have to deal with things. I think your anger and your frustration is really justified, or it's at least really understandable. Absolutely. I would be in that situation, too. I mean, wouldn't you, Dan? Like, oh. this, is, this, is, this is frustrating and annoying, and I, I find myself thinking of two pieces of advice, Dan. Let me know what you think about them. I think mm -hmm. that... I would do one of two things. Either I would say, well, this isn't going well. See where the chips fall and then throw myself a second shower with someone more capable at the helm and do it – not throw myself, but I would talk to another friend about doing a shower for the people who never got their invitations, who never made it to the – just for whom this particular shower failed. There's nothing wrong with having more than one shower. I worry though that – because there's partial invitations and follow-up invitations, and I'm even wondering if there are invitations you don't know about. I'm not trying to create problems, but it just I could see that happening too. You know, she mother-in-law runs into someone and says, oh, I should invite them to the shower too. Here, send the text off, you know. I think with all of that going on, it could be seen as the fixed shower afterwards, and I don't want to create that because I think that could create more of an issue with your mother-in-law. Um, so you hear me right now literally saying, this wouldn't be a bad idea, but it might be a bad idea in this particular case. I also could see a situation where you unfortunately have to step in and say, I'm really concerned about this. I am hearing from people that they don't have all the information and the shower is a week away and start reaching out to people and giving them the information that you need. I'm worried about stepping on a host toes, but this host is not helping. And I don't, I don't know how to balance those two things. 
not knowing the mother-in-law and the relationships all that well. And the son has done such a good job. Try Like, you know, it's like, I feel like they've crossed so many of our awesome etiquette, like steps and suggestions that we've, we've given to past listeners, right? D like where it's like, you know, have, have the person who's the, the son or daughter of the parent who's causing trouble, talk to them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like, they've done that. No, this is, this is, uh, into I don't want to call it disaster territory, but for me it's 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 a nightmare <laughs> where you've got people that just aren't um, playing their roles well, and the the part where my I want to offer a virtual hug just kicked in, and the the meter went to the red was my mother in law always goes the non traditional route on things, and instead ends up creating chaos and confusion because yeah. for me and for people listening to this podcast, there's such a treasured idea that. This can be so much easier <laughs> that oh, um, I know. <laughs> that there are a few really simple things that, you know, you just sort of look to the people that have done this so many times before and it might be helpful to know those things. Um, so th- that obviously jumps right out at me. But the etiquette problems that start to compound that you're you're talking about where you don't want to step on a host toes. I, I, I found myself doing the exact same calculus you did. Is this is this just too far gone? Is this. Is this to the point where it's a lost cause and you just let it go and try to salvage as best you can? And just like you, the the math of that starts to go in my head and you, it's really difficult because they're going to be people that maybe do show up and go to that one. And now you've divided your shower into two experiences that you maybe didn't – it's just you might really lose the thing that you were hoping for, um, a shower experience with your closest friends and family. So I say to myself, I don't want to give up on it unless I really have to, unless it's just so far gone. And I think there is hope. I think that your first point of contact is your host and you give them one last chance because that's the high road. That's my thoughts on this very tricky issue is you just challenge yourself and you say, I'm going to reach out to the host and say, this is what I'm hearing. This is really problematic for me. I'm personally embarrassed and and just concerned that People aren't going to be able to make it. They're not going to have enough time. I want to help. And this is what I would like to do. And then you explain whatever those steps are to make it as easy for them as possible and really walk them through it. You know, help them send the email and try to involve them so that they have a chance to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And if they won't, then you go that route of without calling them out explicitly contacting the guests that you have to contact for whatever reason and and you touch base and you just do it as best you can without throwing your host under the bus but you try to get people the information they need so that they can be there and it can be a successful event and lizzie post i want to throw a great big and or but at the end of this which is that when i start to think about that approach there are complicating factors just like there are with the other solution that if you're talking about a lot of different guests and a lot of different contacts, the practicality of it, the feasibility of it, the potential to do it well starts to go down. And mm-hmm. you find yourself in a situation where there aren't a lot of great options. And that's what's so difficult. The one other thought I had when I read the final question in this question, which was, what should I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought to myself, this is definitely one of those things that's gone badly enough that I would flag it in my mind. And I probably wouldn't trust these people to manage this kind of Something event for like me in again. the future. Yeah. That it's a, a big enough fail in that regard that I, I think it's 
it's up to you to keep track of that. And you hear me laughing, not because of the situation, but because it's and it doesn't that that advice isn't like what you should do for this particular situation, but it's a good what to do in the future. You know, when thinking about trying to coordinate with these folks, um, and that's and I, I understand that that's hard because they are very close to you. And those can often be the folks who are offering the most to coordinate and do things yeah. when it comes to this kind of a life celebration. A, you will know better than us based on the guest list and who hasn't been receiving the invitations and links as to whether or not your plan should be to reach out to those people and say, I'm going to plan a second shower like this first one's off the rails. Hang tight, you know, and I could see doing that with peers, close friends, you know what I mean? Like. Um, the kind of more casual guest group and for people who fall in that more kind of formal in your life guest group or or senior. So so, you know, grandmothers, aunts, uncles, those types of folks doing what you can to get those invitations, get those links to them, even though it shouldn't be on you and it shouldn't be your responsibility. There is, I think, going to have to be some kind of a decision as to how how you're going to handle who on this list. And then, as Dan said, talking with your mother-in-law and saying, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I would like to do to help this move forward in a way that feels right to me. We think that it is completely reasonable to have a very strong emotional response to such a difficult situation. We hope that our answer provides you a couple of different options to think about and that you find a resolution that works for you and your family. And congratulations on the baby. Each day, 7,000 American babies announce their arrival and their curiosity world that surrounds them. That world at first is the family, a world full of physical and mental needs, a world long studied by experts. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm an avid listener from Sydney, Australia, and love listening to your podcast. I have a bit of a wedding invite dilemma that I wanted to hear your thoughts about. My COVID-safe wedding is in a couple of weeks, congratulations, and all of my final payments for catering and venue, etc., are due this week. I have a close friend whom I invited to the wedding. I originally did not invite her partner because I didn't know him that well, but at her request, I gave her a plus one. My issue is that I recently heard something that indicates to me that my friend and her partner have parted ways recently. I'm wondering if it might be a little bit too insensitive to check with her and ask if they're both still coming. But the wedding isn't being paid for by me, and I really don't want to waste my future in-law's money if I know there will be guests that aren't attending. What would you recommend? Should I ask my friend if her plus one is still coming or should I just leave this for the sake of our friendship and absorb the cost? Thanks for your help. Wedding woes. Oh, wedding woes. I hope we can help you with your woes and that you have fewer woes <laughs> and can enjoy your wedding because it Turn sounds like it's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm partially happy because th this is a very etiquette question with a very etiquette answer. And – um, I want to start off by uh, pointing out the gray area in the contract here. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is around the question of whether or not your friend has responded and accepted her plus one or not. Mm -hmm. The the etiquette advice that I'm working from is the idea that when you issue someone a plus one, it's theirs to decide what they do with. But by definition, it's not a named party. It's a 
guest of your choice to come with you, a plus one. So you get to pick who that is. And if a partner that that plus one was intended for is no longer a part of your life, picking someone else would be the guest's prerogative. Now, if the person has already responded that they're going to bring a plus one and this is who that person is, technically the etiquette responsibility would fall on them to let you know that plans had changed. And mm-hmm. you could probably expect to hear that. Um, in the absence of hearing that, it would be awkward to check in on someone and rescind a plus one based on a relationship status change. Okay. So – and this is where it's a little interesting because I don't know if you're necessarily like rescinding it. And and this is where it's a little bit dicey, right? Like if she's replied and said this particular gentleman is joining her – and then he's no longer joining her, as you just said. That's something that the guest should really tell the host. The host then has that dance moment where they could say, well, is there someone else you'd like to bring so you have company at the wedding if they mm-hmm. want to? Or they could say, oh, that's too bad. I'm so sorry. Well, we will have a ton of fun together and we're so glad you are still coming to the wedding. And leave it at that. And that would be like the kind of conversation that would indicate, okay, she's not getting another, you know, someone to substitute with, or we'd be happy to have you substitute so that you've got someone to bring if you want to. The thought I'm having, though, is that we are talking about one guest. And I know this could happen with other guests. COVID wedding, usually pretty small. But caterers often plan for one extra meal. They plan for something to go, you know, a, a chicken breast drops to the floor. You need a backup chicken breast. I hope you need a backup chicken breast. <laughs> um, but I think that it's it, it's that kind of a thing where the one one person I feel like maybe not going to make such a huge difference. If you were worried about this with um maybe five or six of your guests or th- even three or four of your guests, then I might want to get into that territory of really wanting to nail down who is coming and who's who's not coming or or if if things have been changed. But this is tough because there is an etiquette point on the guest. And if they don't make it, if if the guest doesn't say, hey, we broke up, I'm no longer going to be having this person come with me as my date, then I don't know, with close friend, yeah, I might consider reaching out and saying, hey, I just wanted to check in about this. A, are you okay? And B, you know, like we said before, figuring out whether or not the guest is is going to attend is is kind of a part of it. And if your guest isn't isn't broaching that with you. Are you really just on the hook to leave their guest as a guest? I mean, what maybe, I, well, okay. Maybe she's waiting to see if they get back together before the wedding. I don't know. And that might be their choice. I, I, I liked your, the feel of the way you were imagining approaching a friend with curiosity and yeah, asking okay. where it's not about necessarily, uh, I've got a big decision to make here, but, How's it going? Are you still planning to bring so-and-so? And that's information that is great information for a host, whether <laughs> the cost matters to you or not, or maybe just that there's someone else who'd love to be there who could come mm-hmm. if there was a available spot. And to me, that practicality starts to weigh on the thinking about whether or not it's appropriate to ask. Mm-hmm. It's a, a genuine question. And the more I think about the etiquette of it, because it is a plus one, the real idea is that it's not connected to a particular partner. 
And right, the, the specific partner wasn't invited in this case. <laughs> you didn't get plus one because you had a long-term significant partner who you now are no longer with. So the plus one doesn't. <laughs> the plus one really is about you getting to choose someone to bring with you, and the idea of of changing that plus one from a distance based on a change in your social sphere. Mm-hmm. The more I think about it, the more awkward it feels to me. I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking here. I think you're right. And I can hear people in the background, you know, saying, but what about the place cards or the all the places where your name might be written out? And often a plus one, one of the nice things about receiving a reply card that has the plus one's actual name on it is that you can do things like, you know, write a place card or, or make sure that any anything that would have a name written on it, their name is included. You can also write guest as and that would be the way to handle it if you didn't know. For instance, if if usually you want to get the name of the plus one to the host, but if you didn't, it would be a way to solve one of those little mini technicalities that people get worried about as, and use as a reason to justify needing the name. You know what I mean? You don't actually need it. <laughs> I think one of the the biggest takeaways I have from from what we've talked about is when it comes to this friend. Think of them as as a friend who's going through a, a, presumably a tough time right now and and use that as the starting point when you're reaching out and considering this as opposed to, oh, well, it would be one more extra plate for my in-laws. And and I hate to say it that way and just assume that the in-laws could afford the, the, the extra plate or the mishap, but I do think that generally – at least the caterers I've worked with usually plan an extra or two just in case. And so I think, I think that this one guest falls really within that category. And I would, I would be putting more of my focus and emphasis on is my friend going to feel comfortable and is my friend, you know, okay with everything at the wedding? Would she be really sad if, you know, the seat next to her had a name card on it with the guy's name on it? And she's reminded of the emptiness. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think that's those are the kinds of things I'd be more looking to try to avoid in this situation. Wedding woes. We hope this helps you check one thing off your list and that the rest of the planning goes really well. Congratulations on your big day. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we hear from Philip in Rochester, New York, on meeting people at weddings. Howdy, Lizzie and Dan. Just a bit of fun feedback on your latest episode regarding going to weddings single. My mother's uncle married my father's sister, and my parents met at their wedding. 
It was always fun to see who showed up at family gatherings, whether it was my mom's side of the family or my dad's. I have a set of cousins who are both first cousins and second cousins. Love the show since your DPD days. Oh, that's a longtime listener. <laughs> Phenomenal. Philip, thank you so much for sharing. And I don't want to be the one there to decipher the first and second cousin relationships <laughs> when the time comes. <laughs> Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette and today we're going to talk about anger and healthy emotions. Dan, where is this topic coming from today? So this postscript comes directly out of a question that I was asked as a guest on a podcast recently. And the person who asked this question, I really appreciate. He's a good old friend of Peggy Posts. His name's Randall Kenneth Jones. And because we have a sort of familial personal relationship and history together. He he loves to tell me about the last time he saw my mom and <laughs> likes to refer to me as Danny when he's talking to Peggy and my mother. Oh. But uh but he's a great interviewer and he loves a good conversation and he was delighted to surprise me with a question about anger and managing emotions and how you do it. And I really found myself responding to the question in a way that surprised me. I was excited to get it. And he thought that he was maybe going to like shock me a little bit or throw me a bit of a curveball. Sure. And you're and like, I I've, love this question. <laughs> I found the words coming out of my mouth. This is something I think about a lot and rarely, if ever, get asked about in the context of etiquette. And it is such a deep mine to dig in the idea of how we manage anger when we're relating to other people is a question that is fundamentally important because of how destructive anger can be particularly to relationships and to the social fabric of our world i think one of the things that stands out to me right away when you bring that up is the part where you said in our interactions because there's this place where like anger can serve us well, right? I mean, it's it's an emotion that we have for a reason. And sometimes it can seem like in etiquette, we choose to constantly tone down our anger or hide it or that you're not a allowed to talk about things that are unpleasant or frustrating or difficult or strained. And you and I know that's not actually the case, but that the how you manage talking about it and what you choose to share are really so key towards, I would say, in a healthy way or in a beneficial way, managing that anger in relation to other people, you know? I, I absolutely do. And one of the only reasons that I have any sort of ground to stand on as I even think about this topic mm -hmm. is that I'm incredibly fortunate and that I married a mental health counselor who is good at identifying core emotions and helping me and other people identify feelings and name them and sort them and process them. feel like you've been experienced at some of this work on the home front, huh? <laughs> and 
I was really fortunate to watch a movie called Inside Out with my lovely wife, Pooja. (laughs) It is so good. And for for anybody that hasn't seen it, the conceit of the movie is that it it, it starts with a birth and – you get to know the characters that represent the five core emotions in the mind of a child. Mm-hmm. And then you get to see how these five core emotions respond to a challenge that happens in the child's real life. So the big information for me when I first saw this movie is that anger is a core emotion, mm-hmm. that it's one of five core emotions, joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and anger. And that the process of integrating that emotion, finding ways to give it expression without giving it control over your behavior mm-hmm. is the way a lot of, I would say, very emotionally intelligent people think about it. And this was a really powerful cartoon concept to implant in my brain. If you haven't seen the movie, give yourself a chance. It's so good. Lewis Black is the voice of anger, mm-hmm. who's a little uh, Pixar animated red character whose head lights on fire when he gets uh, fired up. <laughs> but when anger gets control of the board, it's it's usually not a good thing. The outcomes are 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 usually not great. And what I was really interested in Lizzie in sort of your first reaction to the topic was the difference between anger as an emotion and how that works and Anger is something that we're expressing in our relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. And to me, that it's the, the, the difference between those two things that is the place where I want to look for that integration um, that allows us to have core feelings and feel them, but also not be at their mercy. I like it. And as as someone who is, I'll say, uh, quick to anger in my head, whether or not it comes out of my mouth is a little different. But I am really curious. It It is something we're kind of always trying to damp down or, or manage. How is it good for social relationships? And this is, I think, the really interesting question and the one that I've wondered myself for a long time. And the best answer that I can come up with is based on The idea that anger, I think, comes from, at its best, a place of grievance. Mm -hmm. And if you really examine that grievance, oftentimes it's connected to ideas about fairness and justice. Sounds very familiar to that question we had earlier in the show where where our listener was saying – these things that have happened, they don't feel fair and I feel angry. What's up with that? <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think in some ways you can use it as a real clue. I think it um, validates that sense of wanting things to be fair mm-hmm. and wanting things to, to be just and frustration or anger coming from that, that not being the reality. So I think it can motivate you. I think it can help identify things. I think it can also – push you into action mm-hmm. if it's not something that you've lost control to mm-hmm. i think that it can be a motivator oh i'm angry at myself for something and not to the point where i beat myself down but to the point where it pushes me mm-hmm. and hopefully into something better so I, I think anger can can work i think it can work for us in terms of figuring out what we really want mm-hmm. what we think is right and i think it can help motivate us and as you say, when it sits in the driver's seat and it starts to be the thing that's really impacting our relationships, that's where you can run into trouble and where 
I don't want to say we need to repress anger all the time, Mm-mm. but where you want to have outlets for it and ways to understand it and process it. I think that that term healthy outlets is that, you know, it's like, um, I feel like sometimes um, we we find safe places where we can vent about things, where we can we can say the full expression of how we feel about something versus maybe some of the bigger realities about how it really is. You know, the feeling you might be having is that this happens all the time and it's not fair. Does it actually happen all the time is a different question. But the feeling and the the sometimes the need to express that that feeling of always or that 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 feeling of anger is there is important. And I like the idea of, of the, that that can have its own place. And then how yeah. you address the issue with the person can have its own place. So it's it's almost like we're not it's not like you're trying to say just repress the anger. It's compartmentalize it. Yeah, maybe. This is where my IFS integral family systems therapist wife would say, Lizzie Post, you're brilliant. You're integrating your parts. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel like could could maybe we send this episode to my therapist for a gold star checkmark? No, I'm just kidding. So so ask me ask me the question about what the other brilliant woman in my family knows about anger. So what does the other brilliant woman in your family know about anger? <laughs> I have to share with you something that Anisha shared with me about anger. And it was so simple and so beautiful. And it worked for me so well. I've been sharing it with anybody that will listen. So I sang a little song for Randall Kenneth Jones. I want to sing a little song for all of you. And this comes from uh, the show Daniel Tiger. If anyone's familiar with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Daniel Tiger is the spinoff show that kids watch nowadays that's from that world. And Daniel Tiger is brilliant. He's empathetic. He teaches emotional intelligence. We love Daniel Tiger. And Daniel Tiger sings this little song when he gets angry. He goes, when you're feeling angry and you want to Roar! And when you say roar, you got to scrunch your face up and make like really? an angry roar. roar face. Yeah. You take a deep breath and you count to four. One. Two. And by the time you count out to four <laughs> on a nice slow four count, you know what? That anger's been identified. It's been named. It's been expressed. And it's amazing how much easier it is to take control and to move forward with that anger managed. And I like I, the breath because you're catching, A, that oxygen your body needs for your brain to help think clearly and function. But also it's just that like it gives you the time and space and now you're ready to engage and you you are your little softer after it. Nothing like a little song to help <laughs> your day. So Anisha taught me a little trick for how to deal with anger when you're feeling it <laughs> and when you feel like you might be about to lose control. Audience, I am so incredibly gleeful that Dan just sang on our podcast. <laughs> uh. But I'm, I'm also, it's been, it, it has been fun talking with you about these types of, of kind of core emotions and how the little kids in our lives are, 
uh, learning them and how it's good reminders for us as adults, especially two adults who work together, um, to, to be utilizing them in our own lives. And I think what's really nice and what I really take away from this postscript is the simplicity of it. It's that those tried and true approaches really are just that tried and true. Take a deep breath. You know, like you said, give it some, give it its space, do your rawr, but take the deep breath, get back into it. Remember that, that you do have sort of this, I, I, I don't want to put responsibility, seems like too heavy a word, but, uh, but responsibility to participate well with others. And, and part of that is this. And it, I just, I like how it all comes together in something nice and, and simple with a, with the easy takeaway. <laughs> It'll definitely me help me during this last weekend of of book push, or I'm sure I'm going to be calling my Daniel and saying, "Dan, where's that when thing? You're What's feeling this thing? angry and you wanna roar." <laughs> oh, good laugh never never hurts either. Dan, thank you so much for bringing this to us today. I hope it helps everybody breathe just a little easier. That hostility won't disappear overnight, but I'm sure we can work on it. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Julia. Hello, awesome team. I have a salute for you that I hope brings as big of a smile to your face as it did to mine. I have a coworker who was expressing to me that she was running super low on sleep lately due to her neighbors, through no fault on their part. She lives in a very old apartment complex. There was a sound keeping her up all night coming from below. It turns out it was from the downstairs neighbor's ceiling fan and probably some old architecture. Unfortunately, as soon as she noticed it, she couldn't unnotice it, and her sleep continued to get disrupted. I immediately sent her to this podcast for sample language. Anyways, after thinking it over, she decided to leave a very friendly and apologetic note requesting to have the fan off at nighttime, and even offering to purchase them a plug-in fan if they needed white noise to sleep. The following week, the fan was not on at night anymore, and Jess was so thankful. As we all know, run-ins with neighbors regarding noise and such don't always go so well. Here's the best part. She followed up several days later with a thank you note to the neighbors. Little heart emoji. Great etiquette from both parties here. Thanks so much for your podcast, Julia. I love that. Put a bow on it. That is awesome. <laughs> it, no, it really is. It's exactly what we talked about. That is good etiquette out in the world. Both parties, look at that happen. It, it can go well. <laughs> That's so awesome. Julia, that really did put a smile on our faces. Thank you so much for sending. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something or supports us on Patreon. Please do connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. 
On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we're at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show rankings, which helps other people find awesome etiquette. Our show was edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, and Bridget. Chris and Bridget. 